Our scripture passage this morning is Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. It can be found in your pew Bible starting on page 17 there at the bottom. Before we read, let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless the reading and preaching of your word. Bless the meditations of my mind and my heart. May they be pleasing in your sight, Lord. Uh, may your word be preached faithfully and be used by your spirit to be a means of grace, not only to myself, but to all us here this morning. To Christ's name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that, I may, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maidservants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say, she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. As for the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the uh, Aesop fable, The Boy That Cried Wolf. The Boy That Cried Wolf was somebody who was out watching the sheep and he thought it would be funny one day to scream out, woof, woof, and all the villagers came and rushed to see if there was a wolf to protect their sheep, and there wasn't a wolf, and, and so the, the little boy laughed and laughed and thought it was such a funny joke, and everybody went back to doing what they were doing, and he did it again, woof, woof, and they all came to see, and if he was in danger, if the sheep had been bothered, and, and uh, there was no wolf there. And so he laughed, and he laughed again, and all the villagers went back to doing what they were doing. And, and then um, he did it again, woof, woof, except this time there actually was a wolf. And all the villagers said, oh, there's that boy messing around again, give us a hard time, so we'll just ignore him this time. He's not going to get a reaction out of us. He's not going to get the uh, pleasure of completing this, this joke and harassing us. And, and uh, the boy got eaten by the wolf. So the moral of the story is, if you lie, you die. 
But God doesn't treat us like characters in Aesop's fables. You see, we do sin. Um, we're imperfect. We stumble, we fail, we fall. Uh, maybe we're not playing jokes, but like the boy that cried wolf, we lie. We cheat. We lust. But when we do stumble, when we do fail, God forgives us in Christ, uses that failure as an opportunity to teach us, and this results in the strengthening of our faith. And this is important for us this morning because what we're talking about here with Abram or Abraham is that he is an imperfect patriarch. Oftentimes you'll pick up Children's books from the Old Testament, and the, the, the moral of the story of the children's book is, be like Abraham, be like Daniel, be like David. Well, it would be very important this morning, since we're talking about Abraham's failures, to not say, be like Abraham. Um, this morning, maybe the moral of the story would be, don't be like Abraham. Our theme this morning is what we see in the life of Abraham, our forefather. Even when we sin, God forgives us, teaches us, and strengthens our faith in Christ. So let's start this uh, sermon off with the first point, faith tested. The second point is faithless. The third point is faith learned. So, uh, faith tested. Verse 10, we read, there was a famine in the land. Now, up until this point, Abraham's faith had already been tested, as we read uh, last Sunday, and we looked at the original call of Abraham. The first thing we're told at the end of chapter 11 is that his wife, Sarah, or Sarai, is barren. She does not have any children. Another testing that we're told is that Abraham did not know the destination that God was calling him to. A third test of Abraham's faith is that he had to leave all of his people and and what he was familiar with. Another test we learned of is that Abraham's father died. Um, It's not easy to lose a family member. It's not easy to lose a father, and Abraham's father died. Another test that we read about is that as Abraham entered into Canaan, he did not find a home. He did not find a place that he could settle down. Uh, And then we read as well that not only is this land that God has called him to um, not a place that he can settle down in, not a place that he can stay in, um, but he's surrounded by enemies. The Canaanites are in the land. So Abraham, he's going through the ringer. And in all these steps up until this point, uh, what we've read about Abraham is that he's been a man of faith. Uh, Sarai is barren, but the promise that God gives to Abraham is that uh, I'll make you into a great nation. Bless you. I'll make your name great. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You and your wife are old and you don't have any children, but I promise you this is going to happen. That's right, Abraham did not know the destination that he was going to, but we are told that he stepped out in faith. 
away from the people and the place that he belonged to and the things that he was familiar with to an unknown place because he was putting his trust and his faith in God. Yeah, he found no home in Canaan, but we are told that as he entered into this promised land, the land that God had called him to, God appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And so Abram, he believed and he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And he traveled to another place and he built an altar there and he, he called on the name of the Lord, almost as if to say, Lord, I believe in your promises. I'm putting this mark here that says, The Lord has promised to give me my offspring, this land, and I believe him. And here we have another opportunity for Abraham to show his, his faith. There's a famine in the land. Robert Candlish, in his commentary, states concerning this acknowledgement of this famine in the land in chapter 12, verse 10. And as if all this were not enough, even daily bread begins to fail him. What now is he to do? He has hitherto been steadfast. He has built an altar wherever he has dwelt and has called on the name of the Lord. He has at all hazards avowed his faith and sought to glorify God. But it seems as if from very necessity he must at last abandon the fruitless undertaking. He is literally starved out of the land. Why should he not go back to his old home and do what good he can? There he would find peace and plenty and ample room for work. But he is still faithful. And rather than draw back, he will even encounter yet greater dangers. He will go down into Egypt for a time. And that's what we read. My personal opinion, I think uh, Robert Candlish is putting a bit of a positive spin on this. Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. Now, if we look through all of Scripture, we'll find that there are a number of times when God grants permission for his people to go to Egypt. One such instance is when there is famine in the land and Joseph the one with the multi-technicolor drink code, has been sent down to Egypt before the, his people, his father and his father's sons and his brothers, to prepare a place for them. And God comes to Jacob in his old age and he tells Jacob, it's okay, go on down to Egypt. I will bless you there. And so Jacob... Is obedient. He goes down to Egypt. Another such occurrence is following the death of our, or following the birth of our dear Savior Jesus. Uh, we are told that there is a plot to kill this new king who has entered into the world, and so this ruler sends people to kill all the baby boys two years and older. Right, and Joseph is warned in a dream. Joseph, not Joseph the technical or dream coach, Joseph, Joseph the earthly father of Jesus. Go down to Egypt and be protected from this, uh, this desire to find Jesus and kill him. And so Joseph takes Mary and the, and the child and they go down to Egypt. 
But there is another way in which Egypt is viewed in Scripture. And that is in a negative sense. First of all, when in the great story of Exodus, Egypt is seen as the land of slavery, the land of sin and bondage. This is a theme carried all throughout Scripture. And oftentimes in the story of Exodus, the people look back at Egypt as if it is desirable, as, wish, as if they should desire to go back to Egypt and, and the comforts and the joys and the things that they experienced there. Well, this is carried on into the future of Israel as a nation. Oftentimes in, in, in situations of hardship, they would look to Egypt for assistance. They would look to Egypt to get them out of this dire situation. Enemies coming from Assyria or whatever it may be. And God condemned the people of Israel for looking to Egypt. Because looking to Egypt was looking to the world and its resources. Looking to the place of bondage and slavery and sin. And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is what Abraham is doing at this moment the first kind of way we look at Egypt? Or the second? Well, Robert Candless, he thinks that it's interesting that Abraham did not go back to his people, but decided to go to Egypt instead as an expression of a continuance of his faith but there are two very notable things that we learn about Abraham's desire to go to Egypt. The first is that there is no word from God. When God's already appeared to Abraham and said, to your offspring I will give this land. And God does not come to Abraham and say, um, there's a famine in the land, go ahead, go down to Egypt, I will... Be with you there. I will watch over you. I'll bless you there. So, what we have here, I believe, is an expression of faithlessness. This is Abraham walking not by faith, but by sight. He is doing what many of us do as walking contradictions and paradoxes. We have moments of faithfulness and we have moments of faithlessness. And when the going gets tough and we get pinched and squeezed into a hard spot, often we start operating in the flesh. We start thinking to ourselves, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, I've got to get this done. If I do this, maybe I'll avoid this whole situation. If I get this thing done, and what we realize is that we never stopped to say, Lord, I trust you to provide for me in this situation, in this circumstance. To be like Abraham in this situation and to say, Lord, you called me away from my people to a land and you have promised me this land. You have brought me to this land. 
You'll provide for me. Well, so does Abraham express that kind of faithfulness? Or does he express faithlessness? Well, let's continue reading. Verses 11 through 16. We learn real quick the kind of imperfect patriarch that we are dealing with. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Well, actually, you know, that's a, quite a compliment. I mean, he's really saying, you are beautiful. Okay, let's keep reading. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake. And my life will be spared because of you. How do we know that Abraham in this moment is operating not by faith, but by sight? How do we know that this moment we know that Abraham is walking in the flesh and not by the Spirit? Because he's thinking about himself. This is Father Abraham. Had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. This is our great patriarch that we look to, the father of the faith. This is the one that we look at and we say, wow, look at it. He left his own people. In, in Hebrews 11, he is commended for his faith. This is, the, this is the one we look to and said he was willing to sacrifice his own son as an expression of his faith in the God who had promised him. Yet here he is looking at his wife and saying, I know that when God made Adam and Eve, Adam said, this is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. And I know that when God, you made Adam and Eve, you said to them, therefore, a man shall leave his father and cling, hold to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. But Sarah, Sarah, listen, listen, listen. You are so beautiful. I mean, you are really good looking. And the problem is that, that that's a problem right now, okay? Because we're going down to Egypt, and this is what's going to happen. They're going to say, wow. Look at Sarah. She is, she is good looking. Let's kill Abraham so we can have Sarah. So this is, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do, my dear, lovely, attractive, extremely beautiful wife. Please, just, just, please, please, just, just tell them, tell them you're my sister. I mean, it's, it's kind of true. I mean, you're my half-sister. It's, it's a half-truth. Just, just, just tell them you're my sister. Because then, then I can negotiate with them about, uh, you know, um, a bridal price and that kind of stuff. And, 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 and it'll go well for me. So you do that for, you do that for me. 
Um, just so you know, when you hear things spoken of negatively in our day and culture about patriarchy, this is what they're talking about. The abandoning of the marital vows. The using of your position of power instead of for protection and for love and for service and for sacrifice. Your own preservation and your own benefit. It is not that far to say that what is happening in this moment is that Abraham is selling his own wife. As a prostitute. That is what he is suggesting go down as they go into Egypt. This is a man walking not by faith. This is a man not saying, God, you will watch over us. You will protect. You are the God who called me away from my people to a a land of promise. You have told me you will bless those who bless me and curse those who curse me. This This is a man who's more afraid of Pharaoh than he is of God. And so what happens? Well, it happens pretty much exactly like Abraham said it would. They came to Egypt. The Egyptians saw that she was a very beautiful woman. But what Abraham probably didn't think would happen is that Pharaoh's officials spoke to Pharaoh about this beautiful woman. And so she was taken into his palace. Taken away from Abraham. And brought into Pharaoh's palace. And we're told that because of Sarai, Pharaoh treated Abraham well. And he was gifted sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, men servants and maid servants and camels. This is a man who's not living according to faith, but according to sight. He is expressing not faithfulness in this moment, but faithlessness. The moral of this story is don't be like Abraham. But the other moral of the story is we are like Abraham. And if this was Aesop's fables and Abraham was the boy that cried wolf who told his wife to lie, no such things as half-truths or half-lies, it's a lie. The end of the story would go like this. God smites Abraham. He is dead. And the Bible ends. Genesis chapter 12. We could get through 
a one year through the Bible plan a lot faster that way. But thanks be to God, this is not Aesop's fables. Thanks be to God that in God's grace and mercy, in that unilateral promise that God made, that was not dependent upon Abraham's faithfulness. Remember that promise? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. I will, I will, I will, I will. So how does Abraham learn faith in this situation? How does God show his faithfulness, despite Abraham's faithlessness. Verse 17, we read, The Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, What have you done to me, he said? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her to be my wife? Now then... Here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. This is Abraham, the father of the faithful. This is Abraham, who is a worshiper of the one true God, Yahweh, the living God. Who's being rebuked and humiliated by a pagan? Someone who is not a worshiper of God comes to you and says, What have you done? Why did you lie? And in God's grace and in God's mercy, in the face of Abraham's sin, God forgives him. God teaches him and uses it to strengthen Abraham's faith. Because in this moment, Abraham learns that even when he stumbles, God is for him. And that the great motivator of growing in our faithfulness is not guilt, it's grace. You see, there is a very real story being told over and over again in the Bible. And it's one that's before our very eyes here in Genesis chapter 12. And it's one that the readers of Genesis, that Moses wrote to the people of Israel, would have seen easily on its surface. There's a famine in the land. And so they go down to Egypt, Abraham and Sarai. But because of Abraham's sin, Sarai is essentially captured into slavery. She's brought into the house of Pharaoh. She becomes part of his property. He says here, 
Why did you do this? I took her as my wife. Another way we can look at this is that oftentimes pharaohs or leaders at this time would have a harem of many different kinds of women from all over for political reasons or for whatever it may be. Sarai becomes a slave in Egypt. And so what does God do in response? God sends plagues. Verse 17, the Lord inflicted plagues. That's the word here, the same word used in the story of Exodus. And what happens at the end of Abraham and Sarai's story? They are released from bondage, and the Egyptians send them on their way with everything that they had been given, sheep, cattle, donkeys. You do know the story of the Exodus is that during a famine, the Israelites went down. And a pharaoh enslaved them, put them in bondage. And God remembered the promise he said to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. Those who dishonor you, I will curse And God sent plagues on Egypt, serious illnesses and diseases, until finally Pharaoh broke down and said, go, leave. And as they were gathering to leave, God favored the people of Israel on the side of the Egyptians. And what did the Egyptians do? They handed over their gold and their jewelry and their whatever it may be. And as the Israelites left, they left with an abundance of things given to them by the Egyptians. Abraham and Sarai here are are living a precursor of the Exodus story. But why is that important? It's important because the Exodus story, the story of being redeemed out of the land of slavery and bondage of sin in Egypt and brought out by God, redeemed by God, it's really about the great story of the final exodus. And that's the exodus brought about by Jesus Christ. The one that actually brings us freedom from the land of slavery, freedom from the world, Egypt, bondage, Sin. And that's the exodus that Jesus brought. You see, if you look at the gospel stories, Jesus comes and he is born and he's sent down to Egypt. And in the gospels, a quotation from Hosea says, And I called my son out of Egypt. And Jesus comes and he, back, he enters back into the promised land. And he crosses through the Red Sea in his Red Sea moment, his baptism at the Jordan. And the next thing that Jesus does is he spends 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. Much like the 40 years of wilderness that the Israelites experienced. But the difference between the Israelites' experience and Jesus' experience is he's the true Israel. He's the faithful Israel. He is not like Abraham who stumbles and who sins and who fails. In the 40 days, in the 40 nights, Jesus is faithful. When his faith 
is tested. He is faithful, not faithless. And Christ is the one who goes to the cross with a joy set before him. And as he is punished on that cross, and as he's raised three days later, he preaches freedom from the bondage of sin, freedom from the slavery of Satan and his kingdom, and the tyranny of the devil, the Pharaoh. So that we would know in our sin, just like Abraham, that because of Christ, God forgives us. Because of Christ, God uses our stumbling and our failures to teach us, not condemn us. And because of Christ, God uses our sins and our moments of weakness to help us to let go more of this world and its promises of Egypt and what it claims to be able to give us and to strengthen our faith in Christ all the more. If the moral of Aesop's fable, the boy that cried wolf, is if you lie, you die, then I would say that the story of the gospel of grace is that we lied and Christ died for us. So that when we lie, we would be reminded again and again of God's grace to us in Christ. God's working us by his spirit, teaching us to be people of truth. And God encouraging and strengthening us in our faith each and every day. That's what Abraham needed in this moment of weakness and failure. And that's what we need. A perfect Savior. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you that you forgive us when we sin, that you teach us when we sin, and that you use our moments of weakness to strengthen our faith and our commitment in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that we would grow in our faith, knowing that when our faith is tested, Christ passed his test. That we are, when we are faithless, you are faithful because you cannot deny yourself. And that when we fail, you help us to learn faith. And you will not give up on the work you have begun in us until it has come to its completion. We pray all this. Ask that you would answer it and work in us these truths and these great gospel graces. In Jesus' name, amen.